Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome again to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Today's guest is a high-energy, hands-on keynote speaker, author, coach, facilitator, entrepreneur.com contributor, and successful leader. Presently, she is the vice president of the Retail Performance Company. Before launching this BMW Group joint venture in 2013, she was with BMW North America for over 10 years and has been in the learning and development industry since 1996. In her past, she worked with HBO, Volkswagen, Mini, IBM, and WVIP radio cable systems. She constantly challenges herself by earning accreditations. She's a certified professional coach and Energy Leadership Index Master Practitioner. She is the author of The Art of Facilitation, Communicate So They Remember, Bust the 15 Myths That Hold You Back, published this year and available on Amazon. We're going to discuss leadership and facilitation with this past recipient of the BMW Woman of the Year. Please welcome Tina Clements. Hi, Tina. Hi, thanks for having me today. How old am I? Goodness gracious, great balls of fire. That was what that made me feel old, my friend. <laughs> so, you know, we want to talk a little bit about your past and all these things that you've done, but this book that you've written, The Art of Facilitation, I've often tried to help leaders understand that their job is not to advise and direct and do all these things, but to facilitate, to facilitate the process of goal achievement, to facilitate the success of others. So I think we've got a lot to talk about today. I love that input, actually, my friend. But the definition of facilitation as we see it is to provide the environment and then get out of the way of the learner, right? To provide the the tools, the again, the culture, the environment, and the direction, and then really then support from there. You're 100% correct. And I love your intro also. It, it's the responsibility of leaders to be able to do that and not to just tell or direct or however you put. I completely agree. Yeah. So I think a lot of the times I think people get mixed up with leadership when they think they've got to, you know, set the goals and set the direction, all this stuff. We're actually, I think the, the idea of facilitation is setting the boundaries, and then letting people work within those boundaries on their own and just kind of guiding them a little bit. So if if I take my concept of leadership and your definition of facilitation and kind of put them together, tell me a little bit about your history and how what was your path to come up with this? This is something that's been uh, going on with you for quite some time to figure all this out, right? Really, my entire career, my intention was never to, to put words on paper. 30 years ago when I started in the air quote people business. However, the art of facilitation was a labor of love and it was the red thread that stuck with me throughout my entire career. And when it was time to put it on paper, it just flowed. It just, I had no choice. I actually started writing a different book a couple of years ago around choice and leadership, et cetera. And then I, it, it wouldn't come out 
it just wouldn't, it wouldn't produce itself. This book had to come out first because it was everything that I have learned around my journey and the art of facilitation. Now the book of course does speak to how to properly stand up and facilitate a message, whether you're artfully facilitating a workshop or a keynote or whatnot, but the skills and tools within can be used on a one-on-one within leadership, how to artfully facilitate your leadership to your people, etc. Yeah. So again, the, the path was circuitous for sure, but it was absolutely a labor of love. And then just again, a couple of years ago, it just it had no choice but to be written. <laughs> I, I love it. So it just kind of came out of your pores and, and flowed mm. onto the paper once you got going, right? So exactly. tell me 15 myths that hold you back. Tell me what you think is one of the, the biggest one that our listeners could learn from that just kind of comes right from your heart. Where, where is that myth that kind of slapped you in the face and said, I need to pay attention to this? The That's a hard one because a few of them are so near and dear. The first one that pops is the myth of the pros don't get nervous. Wow, is that a myth? I have been facilitating in front of people for, again, 20, at this point, 20, 25 years. And to this day, when I begin a facilitated exercise, I cannot hold a piece of paper in my hand because my hands are shaking. And the difference between now and 20 years ago is 20 years ago, they were shaking from fear, terror, and nerves. And now they're shaking from exactly the same thing, except they, I've trans, transferred them into excitement. But the point is, I know myself. I know we show up. The pros, of course, feel nervous, anxiety, whatever the things are. They're pros because they know what to do with it. So that is the first myth that that absolutely pops to my head. <laughs> yeah, in fact, uh, it, it's... It kind of reminds me of uh, something I heard on America's Got Talent recently. And there was like a young lady, she's about 12 or 13 years old. And they said, well, how are you feeling? And she says, ex-nervous. I said, ex-nervous? Yeah, I'm excited and nervous at the same time. And we often, with emotions, we don't realize that we can feel both at the same time. And that's what you're talking about, is we let the nervousness overcome sometime the excitement rather than recognizing that that's just a natural part of the process. If you're not excited and a little bit nervous, then you're probably in the wrong place. You're in the wrong place. I love that. I'm stealing that. I wish I came up with that term, ex-nervous. Well, it was, I will, a, it was I will, a 13-year-old, so. <laughs> I'll footnote her. I will certainly footnote her, but somehow I'll work that. I'll squeak it into a conversation today. Simon Sinek is famous for saying, uh, one of his videos or, or TED Talks, he gives the explanation around, if you, if you ever see a newscaster interviewing an Olympiad, and it's ideal time to have this conversation, they'll say, are you nervous? And the, the Olympiad, just before they're about to ski down the mountain or swim the race, will never say, I'm nervous. They'll say, no, I'm excited. Because the biological response, you, you nailed it. The biological response to nervousness is your hands get sweaty, your stomach has butterflies, and your body shakes. Well, guess what? Excitement, your hands get sweaty, your stomach has butterflies, your body. It's the same exact thing. If you say out loud, oh, I'm so excited to get on stage to speak in front of these 600 people, your, your brain actually, does, they don't know the difference, right? So your body will, re- and then you will shift when you walk out on that stage. It's a crazy phenomenon. It's so true. It's absolutely true. Well, so you make a good point. It's, it's how you label the feeling, right? Yes. Am I labeling it, the feeling nervousness or am I labeling it uh, excitement, but does it really matter? It's the same, it's the same feeling. In fact, I'll, I'll share with you. I was watching on TV this weekend. I was watching a golf match and 
talk about a sport that requires the lowest level of emotional intensity, it's golf. Because if you get <laughs> nervous towards the end and you're shaking, it's really hard to putt, really mm-hmm. hard to putt. Mm-hmm. And they, they talked about it and they said, everybody gets nervous. The ones that win are the ones that learn how to breathe through that nervousness or that excitement at the end of the match. And they're able yes. to be able to control it a little bit. That's and right. at the same time, I think if you're not a little excited and nervous, then I don't know, it's like life. I mean, why are you even there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, why do you feel nothing? Well, that's, it's a really good point. The first step is to acknowledge and validate it. Say to yourself, all right, I'm feeling something. I am nervous. That is how I'm feeling. Okay, that's fine. Acknowledge, validate. The, these athletes, they put just as much energy, time, and effort into how to shift their perspective and, as you said, put energy into using that nervous energy and turning it into excitement and focus. But they put just as much time training that skill set as they do actually swinging the club or swimming the race or whatever it is, and with techniques like visualization. And to your point, they, okay, I need to breathe through this. Well, what does it feel like to, to actually physically breathe through this and decrease my heart rate by slowing my speed or whatever the thing is, right? And we all want to be better facilitators of the thing. Well, part of that is acknowledging that we're going to feel something and then to prepare for it. And my mentors say to me, if you can predict it, you can prepare for it. You know that as a leader, if you need to facilitate a conflict conversation, there's going to be high energy. There's going to be feelings of air quote nervousness. Okay, predict, you can predict that. So what can you do to prepare for it? Visualize your way through it, but go to the room where you're going to have the conversation. If you're going to be on stage, go to the stage that you're going to do the, whatever the thing is and practice that skill set of becoming controlled and calm and excited using the enthusiasm. You're 100% right. It takes those golf athletes, and they are athletes for sure. Mm-hmm. I was going to insert a really bad joke about golf, but I'm not going to go there. I'm just going to be mature and just back out. But they, the ones that win are the ones who have practiced not only the art of the game, but the art of, of using those nerves to their benefit. You're 100% accurate. Yeah, and there's so many examples of this that we know about, that we hear about the Navy SEALs when they get mm. in a situation of it's life or death. What do they do? They breathe. Mm-hmm. You know, when in sports, when you get overly excited or overly nervous, they step away and they breathe. And there's mm-hmm. that recognition of that, that feeling at that moment. And the work that we do with leadership leaders on emotional intelligence is understanding self-awareness and self-management is everything that you just talked about. It's recognizing the emotion, however I label it, mm-hmm. but recognizing that, that feeling, like you said, my, my palms are sweaty. I'm feeling a little shaky. My mouth might begin a little dry. I'm recognizing the symptoms and I'm going, Oh, Oh, there it is. You know, as opposed to, Oh my God, Oh my God, I'm nervous. No, let's, let's get excited. There it is. There's that feeling. Yes. <sighs> Take a breath, you know, take a yes. nice deep breath. Now I'm ready. Yes. And you go take it. Yeah. You, you bring up a really good point also. Once you've been successful doing that, then you can mirror it. You can do it again and again. You need that first success, though, to lean back. And, and that's a coaching question, actually. When when we're working with someone who's stuck and they just can't see him away, we, we will ask, them, tell me about a time when you were successful in an experience like this. Oh, yeah, that's right. Let me think, what did you do? 
Well, I was able to take a step back, take, take a breath. Okay, let's try that again, right? And, you know, people with whom we, it's interesting, the, the higher level executive for whom we've worked and coached and led on our end, when we introduce this idea of breathing, we get scoffed at because it sounds warm and fuzzy and ridiculous. They want a quick hit solution, but this is it. But we'll die. After four minutes, we're gone if there's no oxygen on our lungs, right? Breath is relatively important. And Dave Meyer in his book, Accelerated Learning, talks about the brain-body connection in learning. Well, the same, it's with everything. The brain and the body are wildly connected and the spirit, of course. And we need to acknowledge, and breath is the first thing uh, that can support us in that direction. And it's, it's just knowing that and remembering that and actually leaning into it is, is uh, I wish I could get everyone to believe that, right? With whom we work, because it really is essential and it works to your point, my friend, it absolutely works. So for those, those that are a little skeptical about it, then let's go to the science. Let's go to the neuroscience of it. Talk about mm -hmm. the, the limbic system and the neocortex. The neocortex is where we have verbal language and we have thinking and rationality and the limbic system is the emotion that has no verbal connection but it's the first thing that hits us that comes through the reticular activating system that creates some kind of an emotional response. And as I've often said with leaders and emotional responses to things is that someone is being emotional. Okay. So let's work leaders inside out. Let's start there. If you're feeling emotional, you cannot think rationally and emotionally at the same instant in time, the limbic system and the neocortex override each other in that single moment. And we have to become understanding of the process within our brain that says, oh, I'm feeling emotion. Take a breath, calm it down so that I can start thinking rationally. I mean, this look, this is why when we get emotional, we say stupid stuff. I mean, everybody's <laughs> done it. You know, you get emotional, you say something stupid. And you ask the person after, you says, do you realize what you said? Uh no, what, what was that? You said this. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know what you're right. talking about. I have no, I have no frame of reference. I'm sorry. I'm always a hundred percent together. Of course we do. <laughs> course, Wait a minute, Tina. You're human. You're human. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm way flawed, way flawed. Our next book is called fantastic facilitation fails for which is a compilation book of all the ridiculous emotional failures that we as facilitators make for which I have two stories, at least. I mean, they had to tell me to stop writing my failure stories, right? Because I am so beautifully flawed. And, and I, and I know this, all of my failures are all attached to my emotional reactions, not my emotional responses, but my emotional reactions. And you are right. I think Harvard business uh, uh, wrote 95% of buying purchases are, are emotional 5% rational. We rationalize our decisions away, right? So everything is emotion. And people who say business is, there's no emotion. It's just business. I laugh. I laugh at you. That is that's the most absurd comment I've ever heard. Everything is emotional because we're humans. We are not robots, right? So yeah. Well, so say that the highly intellectual, highly high IQ people that have lived a rational life and have never really understood the emotional drive that we have as human beings. And it's too bad for them because they, they live a, a very unexciting life. It's very mm -hmm. unexciting. 
Well, <laughs> it's it's the Sheldons from the Big Bang Theory, right? It, it's that character, if anybody knows that show. And to be to be a little personal, my daughter, who is eleven, she is she's challenged in a few ways, and and one of the ways is empathy. Quite some days, I think she has zero. And so we work with that. We work through that. So uh, there are people who show up with, with less than and less understanding. And I get that. And I, and I sympathize. There's no question. However, I hear what you're saying when a lot of people are, have never just been educated around the topic of what we are discussing. And they don't know as leaders. And especially I have been within a, in corporate environments for the majority of my career within that world. We people have been taught to not be emotional. We cannot see it. You cannot share it. You cannot be vulnerable. You cannot say you don't know. So that's just the culture of specific organizations. It's how leaders have been raised. I personally, when I was working with a particular organization, had to see the president for something. And I was told with a finger in my face, you are being too emotional. And I said, oh, really? And that story is for another podcast for another day, uh, because there's a lot of fun unpacking that we could do within that statement. But it wasn't his fault. And mm. while I didn't think that at the moment, it was that's how he was raised. And he was he was quite experienced and mature as a leader. Clearly, he was a uh, president of a major organization. But in his mind, he was actually down deep helping me in his mind by telling me that. And then it took me years to, again, unpack and figure it out and, and accept and, and grow from it and all the things. But some people, they just, they've never been taught that it's okay. That emotion yeah. is actually not a bad thing. So Everybody it, does the best they can with what they have at the time. And that if is we can correct. be more understanding of that and compassionate in those situations that people are just trying their best, even in those situations where trying their best is, is, is hurtful. Mm -hmm. um, they're really doing the best they can. And mm -hmm. uh, especially in businesses, leaders, we need to recognize that and then work with them within their process to be better. Mm -hmm. So let, let's go back in some history. Just, just, you know, a little bit about your path of growth in all of this learning and development and work that you're doing with organizations that have brought you up to today. How, did you start as the CEO of BMW or did you just work your way up to that? Where, where, where? You all can't see me, but I'm laughing right now. Absolutely not. It was my, yeah. my, I didn't plan my path at all. My, the red thread is people. There's no question about it. And while I have been in the automotive industry for 20 some odd years, I couldn't tell, I still couldn't tell you what the horsepower is on the M3 and I've been living around it for all these years. Right. So so that clearly is not my skill set, but then it's not about product. It's about the humans within all the organizations. And the path started <laughs> when I graduated from college, I went and begged the radio cable station that I had worked with during the summer. And I said, hi, I just graduated. No plan. I just got the diploma and said, well, I guess I should get a job. I guess that's what happened. And they immediately said, yes, do everything and quickly learn. So I went, sure. From there, and I learned so much about myself and people and how to sell and all the things. And from there, went to uh, the HBO. And again, I was in hotel motel division. How do you get motels to adopt HBO? But from there, that's when somebody tapped me and said, you, you should consider training. And I said, training, what, what does that mean? I didn't know that teaching adults after college was a thing. That's, that's how naive I really was. But thankfully, somebody saw 
something in me and then explained what it was. And I, I, I air quote, I auditioned for the part I interviewed and they threw me into the boroughs of New York and said, go facilitate to all of the cable vision Comcast systems and teach them about the product, teach them how to lead, teach them how to sell. That's where I learned triage training as I call it, because I would only get a few salespeople at a time. So I'd grab them off the sales floor and we'd teach and I'd educate and I'd, uh, you know, I'd come up with flip. There were, we only had flip charts. So this was back in the day when there was no technology. So I would use flip charts and markers and all the things. And then the manager on the floor would say, Tina, I need two people back, but here's four more. And we would just all day. This was my, my job, eight hours a day. Boom, 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 boom. And then from there went to Volkswagen. And that's my favorite uh, one of my favorite fails because I was so eager to prove that I knew what I was doing about facilitation. I forgot to learn the product. And they, day five of working with Volkswagen, they had me at a tent in the middle of nowhere. I think it was the W8 launch, if anyone can remember that vehicle back in the Volkswagen days, and said, quick, teach about the torque ratio and about the differential and how it shifts power from the front to the back. And I went, what's a differential? It was hilarious. <laughs> and I just did it, you know, and you learned and that from there, from Volkswagen went to BMW and mini and my, I got tapped on the shoulder. This is where I say I have no plan because I never thought I would be working in human resources, but BMW said, okay, you've done this. Why don't you try now shifting and focusing from the inside out and learning the HR business and that talk about again, flaws, and mistakes and do what do differently. But all of that was the best education to help me launch RPC, which is a joint venture with BMW, but it was starting a whole company from scratch. And if I did not have that people education within HR, I never would have been able to set up a company from scratch and, and make it successful. It's the people. There's another piece yeah. of this that I want to, as I listen to you talk about your, your quote unquote path, unplanned path, but a path mm -hmm. is there's a, there's a thread that I, that I hear. And that is a curiosity to learn. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, they'll, they'll throw some, why don't you try this? Oh, I didn't even know that was a thing. Okay. I'll learn how to do that. How about you go here? <laughs> and you go, oh, okay. I'll try to do that. How about you do this joint venture thing? Oh, okay. I'll go do that. You know, and it's like, there's this curiosity <laughs> that doesn't hold you back. And, you know, I, I have to say, you know, there's, there's a lot of studies that support this in the difference in our genders is that men will tend to take on responsibilities that they may or may not be prepared for just out of, oh, I can do that. You know, it's just kind of bravado, macho, you know, I can't admit that I can't do something. So I go ahead and do it. And women often are like the complete opposite. They hold themselves back in situations that uh, they, they could do very well at if they would just dive in and use their intellect and their emotional intelligence and, and go off and do it. Well, it sounds like you've broken that mold a little bit. You were one of those that just said, let's give it a shot. You know, let's just give it a shot. And, and that's awesome that it took you down this unplanned path, but it's mm -hmm. based on your curiosity and your love of learning. I really appreciate that perspective of me. I never really thought of that, but I am very much ready, fire, aim. And when I was asked to start the joint venture, the question mark was still hanging in the air as I was saying, yes, I didn't ask one thing about it. I didn't ask how, what, who's my client, who's supporting it? How are we being financed? I went, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do that. And it was, and then of course I, I went down the path of just, unbelievable failure and victim state and negative and all of the things that go with learning 
and making something great and growing and changing and all the things. But but you're right. And it's interesting that you bring up the male-female paradox because I was just listening. Now, anyone listen, please go Google the accuracy around this. But I caught the tail end of an NPR study on X and Y chromosomes. And it started when there was a female athlete who won a running race. Now I cannot remember where in the details it happened a few years ago, but she was disqualified and they measured her and there was a lot of testosterone, but it wasn't this. And, and she's a female by all of these. It's just brought up this huge debate around the XY chromosome and how there's no such thing anymore. They did deep studies. We're not just XYYY, whatever the thing is. We can be XXXYYX in different variations. So it's, it, it's, I'm bringing that up because it's an interesting point for you and anyone to keep learning about. And I actually have it on my to study list for me to research. But I wonder if that's just how I was bred, right? Bred and born is that I, let's just try it. And I don't know what I'm doing, but let's, hey, what the heck? Now, to go to that part about the, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't like to say, I don't know what I'm doing ever, which if I can throw out a little advice, that held me back in my earlier years because I was so stubborn that not only didn't I ask for help, I didn't ask for people. And mm. that was, that's death right there. To so just you felt like you had to do it all on your own. Oh my goodness. I had a coach, a personal coach once who said, you know, if you were a man, you would have insisted on more people. And I went, I don't know that that's true. All I know is that was a stupid move on my part. And she's like, all right. So, you know, and her job was to coach. She was helping me on what to ask for and how to shift and all that stuff. See, coaches are, even the coaches need coaches, as they say, right? But that for sure was a big flaw on my part. It's just, nope. And and I was, I remember being at Volkswagen and I was teaching about the new Jetta and one of the dealer sales, I was teaching a bunch of dealer salespeople. And one said, hey, is the new latch system child safety latch. Is how old? This is how long ago this was. Is that now mandatory on cars? Is that this? And I said, well, in this model, no. The answer was yes, by the way. And I made it up because I didn't, I felt like I needed to know. be the. And they all laughed and they were like, no, we were testing you. And you would have thought that I would have learned my lesson right there. Just say, it's okay. It's okay. You know, that's a great question. Who else knows the answer? Now I've trained, I, I, you know, I've learned the things and I'm old, I'm an old lady now in a good way and experience. And I get, but man, I felt so weak and that I had to be mm. strong and I had to look a certain way and I had to know all the answers when absolute antithesis was true. Had I said, that is a great question. I don't know the answer. Who knows the answer to that question? I would have looked like the boss. I would have looked strong, confident, all the things, right? So it was a right. great lesson. Hopefully by someone hearing this, they too shall not make that that mistake, right? But it was big. And th this, is, this is a great example of a couple of things. First of all is in leadership, how complicated it is in, in knowing when to be able to stand up and, and be strong and let people know that you know what's going on and be confident and when to be vulnerable, when to be able to open up and say, I don't know. And, mm -hmm. and being able to draw the team in at the right moment and the right time, because if you do it at the wrong time, in either one of those cases, you're going to lose credibility. You're going to lose your ability to influence. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I, and I bring the, the gender thing up and, you know, I know some people would say, Oh, you know, that's these stereotypes. You shouldn't bring this stuff up. This is based on research. And some of that research is changing as we get to know more and more. And the idea here is to just have the conversation. I don't, you know, I don't care what the stereotype is one way or the other. What is important is that if we have a tendency 
to not step up and take a little bit of risk and say yes when we're feeling no once in a while, or Mm -hmm. to recognize and be vulnerable and ask for help. Because I break a lot of the stereotypes myself. I am the person that'll walk into the store and I'm going to ask for help right away. I'm going to find, hey, you've got a vest on. You work here. Listen, I've got five things I need to find. (laughs) Tell me where this is and what aisle this is and what that is, you know. And now, of course, they've got the apps that tell you what aisle it's in. So I just look Mm -hmm. at the app. But and the reason I do is because I'm motivated by time. I mean, I don't want to walk around the store and take all this time and waste an hour when I can ask someone right in front of me in two minutes because there's a guys never want to ask for directions. Oh, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm going to ask for directions all the time because I'm going to waste time and get lost. But did On you always? Hand, did no, you always? No, okay, I don't that's always. That's a learned behavior. Yeah. I will, it's a learned behavior. But the other part of it is this, is when I move and I've moved, I've lived in 10 states and two foreign countries. So when I move to a new place, I will get lost on purpose because that's how you find your way around mm-hmm. is you kind of, mm-hmm. you know, figure it out and, and work on your, your spatial intelligence and try to figure things out. So I think challenging yourself uh, in different situations and just accepting the fact that this is the process of life and we don't have to look at it as a failure. Just look at it as a an experience, right? That's what we, as we get older, that's what we call failures. We call it experience. And I have a lot of experience. <laughs> <laughs> and you learn from it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's what you're talking about. What I'm hearing you say is when you hit an obstacle, you have a choice. And this is another thing that we talk about a lot. So many humans feel when you hit the, the roadblock, when the tree falls on the house, when the when the pandemic hits, I am I am sans choice. You don't understand. I don't have a choice is uttered from the lips of the person who is now swimming in victim state, because that's what ha- that's a choice to remain a victim to it, to sit in the blame game. So, you know, I don't have a choice. I've heard it. I've heard it. I heard it at the DMV last week, as a matter of fact. Ha ha ha. Sorry. <laughs> Insert shameless, horrible joke. Um, but there are four other choices that we as leaders can make when we hit that obstacle, we could, as you just said, shift our perspective around it, which is hard. I get that. It's so hard. But that's a leader's job is to stop and say, what's going on? I had to shift when that leader, let's call him Wolfgang. When Wolfie gave me that feedback, I was a victim around it. I swam in that victim mentality in that state until my fingers were pruny because how dare he? And he doesn't know me and that's below and I'm succeeding here and all the things when I was able to shift and say, okay, stop. He's doing the best with what he's got. He's actually trying to help me in his own crazy deep way. Let me shift here. What can I do then? So that's two choices. Then I got to acceptance mode. That's a choice. I chose to accept it. I could have chose to change it, meaning change my behavior. And I did when I saw him I amended my behavior, but with others, I kept leading the way that I felt was because it didn't rub my value system. So that was my choice. So accept, change, shift my perspective, remain a victim. And the fifth choice is to leave it. That's a choice. Now, you might not love the consequences of any of these five choices, but you do have choices. So when you hit that roadblock, see, now your listeners can't unknow this. Sorry, too bad, so sad, leaders. But when you hit that roadblock, that obstacle, you always have a choice. You have one of five, as a matter of fact. And you can go under the obstacle, over it, through it. I don't care. But the choice is yours. (laughs) Yeah, so what I try to separate choice and options to help people see this 
Okay. The choice is your final decision. If you say, I, I don't have a choice, then what you're saying is I only have one option. And then I say, okay, stop and think of other options. What other mm-hmm. options do you have? Now you may not want to choose one of those options because of the consequences, but exactly. consider all your options. So I was, I was doing some training many years ago and this guy said, well, if my boss gives me a piece of work to do, I have to do it. I have to. And I think I read somewhere in one of your books or something, you just love that. I have to. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of Tina's favorite <laughs> phrases. I have to, which is what we're talking about right now. And I said, you have to. And I said, yes. Okay. Hold on to that thought. We had 20 people in the, in the room. And I said, let's brainstorm what options you have when your boss gives you a piece of work. Well, we only came up with 18, 18 <laughs> options. Okay. So we've got other options is what I'm We have other say. options. And I said, <laughs> so now what choice do you have? Now, the beauty of all this was one of the options was to uh, delegate to somebody else on your team, you know, find somebody else, some other schmuck that'll do it for you, right? <laughs> you know, whatever, the, whatever judgment you want to put in there, right? And he came to me and he said that the guy that said I only had one, you know, I had to do it. He says, oh, I know what the problem is now. And I said, okay, what's the problem? He said, I didn't consider these other options because I don't know how to do that. And uh-huh. I'm like, okay, so now what can you do? He says, oh, it's easy. I can learn how to do those things and that will increase my options over time. And I mean, isn't that life, Tina? Mm-hmm. That's a light bulb moment. Huge. I heard it. I absolutely heard it. It's to stop and say, okay, I'm at, what really happened there is that person put his fists up, right? Fight or flight. And so all there's, there's the cortisol that you were talking about. There's the release. There's the, there's that whole, the biological system kicking in and that person decided to be a victim to it. And said, oh, I have no choice. I have to do it. And it really was coming from fear. I'm too dumb yeah. to do anything else or whatever, right? And when he stopped and said, okay, let me shift my perspective around that I get to do this. So instead of this is this for sure, you don't have to do anything. Sometimes it, for me, for example, I hate unloading the dishwasher. I don't know why. It's the simplest thing in the world, but I have to shift myself. I do. You're all going to think I'm cuckoo. I, I get to unload the dish. I change my language in my, I get to. So that's the shift of my perspective as opposed to being a victim to it. I, I have dishes. Yes. I'm so, thank God. I and I can put them away. I get to put them, et cetera. Right. And then from there. Oh, hold on sounds, a second. Hold on a second. Yes. I have to ask you a question because didn't you say you have a 12 year old daughter? She's 11. Good memory. Mm-hmm. Yes. 11. Yeah. Why is she not doing that? Delegate. Delegate, Tina. Yeah. That's, <laughs> And, and I'm a victim to, to the motherhood thing. And that's a whole, that's our third well, podcast. My okay. Friend. We're not going to go there. We're not going to go there right now, but that's, that's great. That's great. Why Listen, isn't she? <laughs> yeah. So I want to finish up today. This is like, we could talk for hours about leadership mm-hmm. and facilitation. I love this. And I want to finish up with the question that I always finish up with. If you could write yourself a letter and send it back to Tina 20 years ago and say, Tina, dot, dot, dot. What would Let you tell of, Tina? That's that's so easy because I, I say it every day because it still comes up for me. Let go of the steering wheel. Why are you gripping mm. so tight? Why are you trying to control things that you can't control? Do everything that you can to control what you can control and then let go. And let it go. And and that is, that it, it, it creeps up for me. And now I listen. I take that advice now. As I'm leading the team, as I'm managing up all the, just let it go. It's okay. And clients. It comes, that piece of advice comes in with clients a lot as well. It's like, oh. Oh, we learn so much from our clients, don't we? 
Oh, and that's podcast number four. There we go. There you We've go. got it all lined up. <laughs> we got it lined up. We got it lined up. Well, uh, Tina, I, this has been a extreme pleasure for me, and I hope you've enjoyed our time together today talking about leadership and facilitation. Thanks for being on our show. Appreciate it. I loved it. Thank you so much, and I will come back for two, three, and four anytime you want. Thank you so much. It, it sounds good. <laughs> we might start our own show. I like it. Oh, boy. Watch out, audience. Here we come. Watch out. Here we come. (laughs) I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thanks again for listening to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Take care, be well, and be great. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com, S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S.com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com.